McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hello Pompey fans and welcome to the PO Forecast episode 119. Cancel the open top bus and the knighthoods, the invincible season with no goals conceded that we were so confident in, it's fallen apart, it's broken into ashes. So cancel my season ticket, sack the board, boycott Fratton, don't get vaccines, the Queen is a lizard, the moon landing was faked, everything has fallen apart, I don't know what to believe anymore. In real news, Pompey go down to a narrow, completely non-catastrophic 1-0 away defeat to a fairly strong Wigan Athletic side. As you can probably already tell, again, the PO forecast hostess with the mostest, Hugh Bunce, is still unfortunately unwell. We're running out of jokes about it because it gets a bit less funny when he's still ill one week later. But um, we are starting to wonder if he's just enjoying a few weeks away from staying up till two in the morning editing these podcasts. On that note, joining me this week to record the podcast in one clean take on pain of death to minimise the editing needed, we have got Shakespeare, who writes all his own work, and with slightly fewer narcotics in his system, Freddie Webb. Fred, how are you doing? Yeah, not so bad. It was a, an eventful week with a transfer window and the last game going on. So yeah, always happy to be on as usual. Good man. And... Joining Freddie and myself this week for what I think is his second appearance on the podcast. He can confirm or deny that shortly. The man who officially represented Pompey in a football manager tournament during lockdown. His initial nomination can only mean that no one in the Pompey media department has ever actually seen one of his Twitch streams or his YouTube channel. Proudly said this was one of his finest moments, uh, which involved the 1-0 defeat in the 90th minute to Mansfield Town and the fact that that is one of his more successful saves tells you everything you need to know about his Twitch and YouTube life. I have lots of comments, proudly, on how many teams you've taken down, but it would be good to avoid us having the pod marked as explicit this week. But uh, it is really good to welcome you back onto the pod, proudly. How are things going? How's life treating you, my man? Uh, thank you for having me back on. Yeah, I, I was trying to remember the last time I was actually on here. It was, uh, I think it was probably two seasons ago. I think it was 1920. If I had to correctly guess I think Ben Close scored against Tranmere and I think that was the last time I was on um I think that was it but I'm sure someone remind me but yeah it was good uh yeah about the Pompey uh, tournament thing you know people still let me know about that as uh my parents didn't watch the first game we won 1-6-0 but they watched the second game where I lost 1-0 so that was a uh, quite a disaster all around but you know it's um you know me and Kenny had something in common we both managed a, a fantastic football team and I think we were just equally as successful so uh, thank you for having me on 
Uh, yeah, I don't have much to add to that. That was a, a fair assessment of how the tournament went. A lot of optimism after the first game of the tournament, and then it all fell apart against the powerhouse that is, yeah, Mansfield Town, well known for their their football manager prowess. So yeah, thanks for coming on, Proudy. The plan for this week is to have a look at the Wigan game. After that, we're going to have a chat with Max Jones, who is a freelance football commentator who has covered new signing Miguel Aziz extensively and is going to give us the scoop on the new 20-year-old signing at Pompey. And then we're going to listen to your views on whether the Pompey squad is stronger now than it was 12 months ago, which is what we asked you on Twitter. And to wrap things up, an extremely brief chat about a tournament we don't particularly care about, but we are going to discuss whether or not Pompey should be playing their first 11 or a strong 11 in the Football League Trophy group game against Wimbledon next Tuesday. Uh, In the background, we are watching to see if uh, Gavin Bazunu is able to prevent Ronaldo from breaking the international goals record, uh, which we, I think, all back him to do comfortably based on his performances at Pompey so far. It is barely a step up in quality. Uh, this evening against Portugal. We'll start with Wigan. Since we last spoke on the podcast, Pompey have suffered their first loss of the season, a 1-0 defeat away against Wigan. I was looking at the teams on paper, lads, and even knowing the result, I would still take the Pompey lineup over the Wigan lineup directly compared to each other in terms of the starting 11. Freddie, the first half, Pompey creates some decent chances. Curtis has a few opportunities that don't quite click. He's getting into the positions to score. We've talked about this a little bit before over the last couple of weeks, and I keep backing him to score because I feel like it's going to click. But so far, it's just not quite happened for him, really. Is it a case of him just doing the same things over and over again from here and trusting the process, or are there bigger issues at hand, do you think? Well, the first half, it was very, very positive from a Portsmouth perspective. Tactically, they tried, it was basically a 4 3 3 of Morel in the middle with Williams and Tonicliffe, and that worked really well in terms of control in the first half. A lot of the chances weren't that clear cut, and you mentioned Ronan Curtis specifically. In terms of end products, he didn't have a good game at all. No, uh, none of the front three did. He was very tenacious, managed to win the ball high up the pitch a few times, which I thought was the thing he did the best at in this game. But uh, he just got into positions but didn't take those chances. They weren't that clear-cut, to be honest. I don't really blame him. I think he had better chances against Doncaster, to be honest. But it is something to think about. Five games in, no goals, no assists. They'll obviously change throughout the season, I think. I think it's hard to argue against that. But yeah, the problem was, the reason why Pompey lost that game was that the front three weren't supplied with enough chances and they didn't take them when they got them. So not, not very positive thing when you're talking about our attacking players at the moment. I think that's, yeah, fairly fair comment to kick things off. Obviously, the the goal that Pompey concede, in hindsight, you say, is fairly preventable and that probably makes it a little bit more frustrating for the Cowleys looking back that we didn't manage to get a point from the game. Uh, it's a fairly simple finish at the far post in the end with the cross in from the left. No chance for Bazunu in the slightest. Proudy, Fred's touched on the formation there. Looking at this match as a whole... Are you thinking that there were some formational issues there at all or was it just not Pompey's day? So as, I guess as a follow-up to that, if Pompey play that game 10 times, exactly how it panned out, how many times do you think they get at least a point from that match? To, to be honest, I, th- I think, you know, looking at like the squad we have, I think 4-3-3 was definitely an option we were going to go with. <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, people talk about 
uh, our midfield options. And I think, you know, with Williams and Tonicliffe playing as midfield two for like the first three games, um, I think it, it works. And obviously we had uh, Gassan and uh, other players playing in number 10. But I think when it came to Wigan, I, I don't know if we were just trying to sort of try and control the midfield a bit more, hence uh, putting uh, Joe Morell in, uh, like, to start. And, I mean, to be honest, like, we we looked in control for most of it. I think the midfield area, we we were in control a lot of it. I think Wigan really were letting either Morell or Tonicliffe or Williams uh, too much space in the first half. I think we were allowed a lot of time on the ball, which allowed us to sort of dominate the ball. But I think it was just... The issue is, is that when you're playing four-three-three, unless you have a player moving into that number ten role or like behind Marquis, you sort of leave the sort of front three isolated. And I think with those three, it was uh, we probably left them yeah too isolated. I think Morel was playing deeper uh, than Tunnicliffe, and I think uh, like as the game wore on, Tunnicliffe lost his way a little bit and couldn't make things happen, which he normally can do. But I think you know. If if I had to, yeah, if you played the game again and again, I would have picked the same team, same formation. I think it was just a case that we were just unlucky. You know, they obviously got their one chance, which went into the back of the net. I think we probably win it seven out of the ten times, probably draw another two times. But yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was, formation-wise, I didn't have a problem with it. But I think unless you score early, it obviously looks a bit difficult how you're going to score if um, you just don't have the players making the runs into positions which you've left open. I think in that game, a nil-nil draw was pretty much the fairest result that could have happened from what, what, we, what me and Proudy both watched from the stand. Mm. Fred, do you have the uh, the XG stats to hand? I'm assuming you do. You normally are very reliable. I'm mm-hmm. getting ignored and a sneeze. That's mm-hmm. an interesting combination. Uh, yeah. what, what were the XG stats for the game, my man? Well, they were... They weren't very interesting at all, really. I think Pompey had 0.45 XG, with the highest chance being that Curtis header, and Wigan had 0.25, which basically means the only chance they had of any credibility was that Callum Lang shot, which could, it could have been, it could have even been blocked from memory, but it was just one of those things. The defence played extremely well in that game, I thought, but it was just Wigan created an overload on the left-hand side and Callum Lang was on his own in the edge of the penalty area. Those things happen, and it's... Unlucky that really Pompey didn't turn all of their possession and general control of the play into clear-cut chances, which is what Danny Cowley would be most frustrated about. Fred, with every week that passes, you are turning more and more qualitative and less and less reliant on numbers. And uh, it's a scary thing to watch. (laughs) We don't notice because it's a little bit at a time, but... You're not the Freddy that I started to know a few years ago. It's a, it's a scary thing. You're, you're not as reliant on those stats anymore. There were 11 deep completed crosses and passes in that game from Pompey. No. So, so they're playing it around the penalty area very well, but they just... I don't think they dealt with the fact that Wigan just packed their penalty area a lot defensively. I don't know what you think, Proudy, but obviously playing Naylor in midfield, also he dropped into the centre-halves mm. as well whenever they were defending. And, they were, and Pompey were looking to the wing a lot, trying to cross the ball. And... Harness and Curtis, they they just didn't release the ball quick enough to try and get into the spaces. I could see the runs that Marcus was making just just off the ball, but he he managed to get in between the strikers, the centre half, sorry, a few times, but there was no cross into him, or the cross was low and and blocked, or it was over. So so again, they had a lot of control, but they just they didn't do anything with it really. Um, so I was going to quickly add, yeah, I think we noticed as well, I mean, Freddie, it, it seems to be a, a sort of lack of cohesion um, towards the edge of the box. Like, I think we were trying to play uh, too many intricate passes and they were just 
going, you know, behind the rail, would be, uh, like Tunner Cliff just couldn't like get a ball to Thomas feet or Harness would be taking too long to get rid of the ball and same with Curtis. And it was a bit strange because, you know, the first three games, I think we've looked fairly comfortable. Um, probably actually flew with the side, but we've looked fairly comfortable on the ball. And this time when obviously the pressure's on us, because I think, it, you know, the first time we've been behind the season, we just couldn't deal with the pressure at all. And um, and we obviously know like how strong Jack is in the air and we're just relying on Marquis or uh, George Hurst getting their header on. And we know how good Jack is in the air and we're still playing the ball in the air and not really troubling him. And um, I don't I don't think Wigan's defenders were really like troubled at all, uh, like toward in the second half. Um, I'm trying to think if there was really any chances or no for us, but yeah, it, it, they, they were just comfortable. And I think once they, you know, got the goal, that was it for them. And I think that was just the game like done and dusted. Yeah, it was, it was, it was more frustrating considering that I didn't think Wigan were that good mm. from watching them. They had a clear game plan of going direct for Charlie White from out uh, through wide crosses. And aside from that, the only chance they created was through Callum Lang for their goal. The defense, Pompey's defence were fairly comfortable and the only time they had a fair amount of attacking impetus was when James McLean came on. I thought he did very well for them, actually. But aside from that, they, they didn't create that much at all. They didn't really control the game. Pompey did, but they took their chance. Really, if you told me they were playoff side after watching that game, I wouldn't have believed you. They didn't have, They didn't really have a good game at all, but hey, they took their chance and Portsmouth didn't, unfortunately. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, this game, I guess, to a certain extent, was was almost ghost of Christmas past versus ghost of Christmas present in terms of some of the ex Pompey players in the, in the Wigan lineup and on the, the coaching team. What do we think in terms of the matchups, Fred? In terms of obviously, we we predicted on the pod last week that Jack Watmore would be quite effective against John Marquis, and that certainly came to pass. How did you compare? Naylor's performance in centre midfield versus the players that have realistically come in as improvement replacements. It was pretty obvious that uh, that Naylor's main job was just to stop the threat through the centre with with Morel. And I think the reason why Cowley played Morel and played a four three three was because Wigan's centre midfield is very tough and very physical, and they and he wanted an extra presence a bit deeper to control possession a bit better, and it works. Morel, I thought, had a good game. He drove forward a fair bit and was fouled quite a lot by Naylor, actually. But there are a few occasions where Naylor in his defensive third put in some key tackles. There was an excellent dribble on a counter-attack by Curtis when he was close to breaking and Naylor just slid in, won the ball perfectly and retained possession. You do miss Naylor's defensive standpoint because that's his specialty. That's what he does. But he 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 wouldn't have been a good option if Pompey wanted to control the centre of midfield, which is what Tony Cliff and Williams did fairly well of it, I think. And and additionally, it's like the fullbacks managed to support the midfield as well. It was just it was just the front three, which is good on paper, but just didn't create any chances at all, to be honest. So the three centre midfielders that Pompey played. So we've got Tony Cliff, Williams, and Morel. Their game time as a three so far has been very limited. It looked to me that there were glimpses of some really nice link-up plays sitting there in centre field. Proudy, what were your thoughts on how three new signings in the Pompey squad, how they linked up over the course of the well over the course of the game before um, before the substitutions began? Yeah, I think I mentioned yeah, like Wigan were quite happy to. Um, sort of sit back a little bit, which gave like those three a lot of space. And, you know, uh, I think, um, especially in the first half, I think, 
I remember Morel running through quite a, a, the middle a couple of times, and especially if he was just sitting back to play the ball, they were just so composed to like get the ball out to the wings or like just pass it around each other because they knew that they could uh, sort of dominate that area of the pitch. The only issue is is that when, when you're knocking it about like that with between you three, if there's no sort of forward runs or forward passes, there's no sort of end product to this like passing. Like you know, we can pass the ball around as much as possible. I sort of go back to when we uh, were like under Paul Cook, and you know there would be a lot of possession, but sometimes we wouldn't be playing the ball uh, forward fast enough. And um, especially against teams like Wigan, where they're you know they're not the fastest. They're not the fastest. I think defensively they're not the fastest, but we're not getting behind them a lot a lot of the time. And you know players like Curtis and Harness, in my opinion, should be getting behind their sort of defence. And if those three in the middle haven't got those forward runs being made, then you know they could pass it around as much as they want, but there's just nothing happening going forward. And um, I think that's where the issue probably was, like to uh, like our attacking like standpoint. Like defensively, they were great. I think those three were brilliant, but like attacking wise, just didn't really offer like enough. And I don't know if it was down to the front three, hence not giving them options, or if it was down to the midfield three not being forward thinking enough. Um, but yeah, no, it, I think if you played those midfield three again, easily would dominate the game. We just need just better players like moving forwards or like we need better runs or like, you know, just a bit more impetus going forward. What did you think of the subs proudly with Hackett Fairchild coming on as a cam and then Hurst coming on later on? Because it seemed to me that Danny Cowley wanted to push for the game a little bit by playing a Hackett Fairchild who's more attacking, but yeah, it, it didn't create a lot, a lot for me to be honest. No, I I mean, I, I mentioned it to you as well when I think um, Rico came on. Like, I, I feel like Harness should have been as number 10 because I know we, we've been talking about the number 10 for years now and we never seem to fix the problem. But I think Harness is the best player at the moment we have to play number 10 because he can make those runs uh, off the striker. I think the issue is with Marquis, he can be isolated. And I think if Harness was moved into the number 10 earlier, it might have helped him a bit because Marquis can sort of, I, I wouldn't say bully, but like, he just acts as a target man and then Harness plays off him. But the only issue is that, you know, when you're playing Rico in the number 10, I don't think he offers the same thing as Harness would. I mean, to be honest, like looking at our subject, it kind of shows that we just don't have the attacking sort of enforcement, the reinforcements we were hoping for. I think we've talked about like getting another striker in and obviously that hasn't happened. So we're now down with George Hurst, who like runs about quite well, but, you know, he doesn't seem to have any end products really. And he, he's making runs into the channel when he should be like the central striker. And then um, those players on the wing aren't like moving into the centre to take that space that George Hurst has created. So I don't know, maybe in a couple of games time, they'll figure it out and there'll be a bit more of a cohesive unit. But yeah, just, I don't, I don't think the substitutions like really worked. But then again, I don't think there was really any alternatives to the substitutions we had. So that's how I see it. Do you not think that that's potentially an intentional tactical decision for Hurst to be going out wide? Because it's something that I've noticed with Harrison before as well, with an angled long ball, where he will move out to whichever wing the ball is played to. And you do have someone like Harness or Curtis cutting inside, potentially, because it means that you know they're then running directly at the goal, facing the goal when they pick up the ball. Do you just not think it suits 
how we're lining up at the moment then Browdy or what are your thoughts um no I, I think I think that's it's a fair point I think it's just we're not doing that that's the problem like our wingers and our number 10 or whoever's playing number 10 should be making runs off the striker who's going into the channels um like don't get me wrong I think George Hurst is great in the air I think he you know there's a little bit I think questions to be asked about is touch really in my opinion because I think he should be like bringing it down and then knocking it off to whoever's like making the run beyond him um I don't know maybe in my opinion like I think Curtis and who I can't remember who was on the wing at the time I think it might be Rico right and then Gassan came on as number 10 but it was just not being narrow enough and like sort of making the runs in between the lines I don't know it's 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 really frustrating to watch because like you know I, I know it can work if the team just figure out how to play with each other. I think we're too early into the season uh, so far, and I think the players still need to figure out how each of them play so far. Because especially some of those players have, were brought in, like I think George Hurst was brought in fairly late into the like transfer window uh, before the season. So I think he just needs to figure out how like Ronan and uh, Marcus or Rico or Gassan like play, and then we can like figure out from there. So general consensus here, boys, is the system is good, trust the process, mm. and will naturally grow into it across across the course of the season. Fred, is that what you bind to as well, I'm assuming? There's definitely time for this to, this squad to improve. I think they've got the talent there. There are some arguments where you think patience on certain players could be wearing thin. Obviously, many choice opinions on John Marcus, again, since he's only scored one goal in five league games, rather. I thought he played better today than he did against Doncaster. He didn't offer a lot in, in the Doncaster game, in my opinion. His runs off the ball were better, uh, but if there was service, it would have helped him. But it's obvious that him, Curtis and Harness have to step up if Cowley's, if Cowley chooses a 4-3-3 and they want to create those chances, those three players have to be on the top of their game. Because if they're, cause if they're not, Borsell don't have the attacking impetus to create many chances. And I know it was hard playing away to Wigan in a defensive style where they pat the penalty area. And in those sort of situations, you go wide to try and stretch the back four to create those gaps in between the lines that Proudy was mentioning. Quite simply, though, it, that, that was the area of the pitch that was the weakest. And patience from some fans might run out for those players eventually, even though really Pompey don't have any different options, strong different options to them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't swap... Marcus for Harrison or Hurst at the moment. But if he keeps going and and even if he gets the chances, if he doesn't take them, then you have to make the you have to make that swap purely just to allow someone else to have a chance. Same with Curtis and Harness for that matter. Yeah, I think those are fair comments. I think yeah, we don't need to ring the alarm bells. You know go into panic mode and start trying to reinvent the wheel at this point. You, you can probably rate the squad after about fifteen games. I think mm. that's usually yeah. I think that's fair. Once, once you played most of the league. Once I think you've got a fair a fair idea of where you sit in the pecking order. Fred, was there anything else you wanted to say about the Wigan game by any chance? There was one last thing. Proudly probably knows what it is because because me and my dad weren't happy about this after the game. Sean Williams not clapping the fans before he went off. It might be a small thing, but come on, you're the most experienced pro there, and you have to set the standard for some of the younger players coming in. It shouldn't be Ronan Curtis's job to drag all the players to clap the fans for going off for a defeat. And this is the second time Sean Williams has done that. I thought he did it once against Doncaster just because he was embarrassed to miss the pen, which is fair enough. But he didn't get it in this game either. And come on, you have to show a bit more respect than that, don't you? Fair enough, Fred. Yeah, I mean, I think this whole 
the, the Pompey culture does exist at the moment. It's not just being pushed. It, it clearly does exist in terms of, you know, Cowley's going down to, I think it was uh, Chiv posted earlier, Danny going down to uh, the training with his daughter and, you know, this whole friendly, appreciating the fans, appreciating the youth teams, etc. kind of vibe we're getting. And I think, yeah, you, you've got to back it up on the pitch, even with the little things, because it is those little one percenters that make a massive difference. And it might be a very small thing and in the big scheme of things, but it takes, yeah, as you say, 30 seconds to do it. And the time invested to do it in relation to the appreciation you get for doing it, you'd think that even after a defeat, it's not it's not difficult, right? I saw a few of the boys on uh, the way home, actually. I, I messaged the, the group about it because uh, when I was at Wigan train station, uh, I think it was Rico, Kieran, Freeman, uh, Tunnicliffe, uh, I think Shaw Williams was there and someone else was there as well, and one of the Wigan players. And I think that I think the fans who went up to the players, you know, were saying, you know, we, we think like and we'll give it time and stuff like that and we'll support you all the way. And I think the players appreciate that, appreciated it. I think a lot of time, like, you know, some of the footballers probably don't realise we will support them all the way, uh, as long as you give them like a hundred, hundred percent. And I think, you know, as the season goes by, I think, you know, the players will appreciate it more. And I think especially some of the clubs these these boys have come from probably don't have a fan base as loyal and as fierce as uh, us. I'm not saying we're the most loyal and most fierce. You know, sometimes it can boil into something negative, especially playing at Fratton Park. I've been to many a game where, you know, performances have been a bit stale and like the fans get on top of the players and it can, you know, breed a negative atmosphere. But I think those fans and how the players sort of received that sort of feedback, you know, I think uh, it was very positive, but you know, we'll see how it goes for the rest of the season. You never know. Like we could crash and burn by November and then we'll see uh, what happens by then. And suddenly it's a very to- toxic atmosphere, but we'll get you back on the pod to discuss it at that oh, point. Proudly yeah. in, uh, in defense of, of Sean Williams there. I mean, when he left Millwall, the, Social media was a sea of Millwall fans who clearly had a very good relationship with him. So I think in the long term, he's the sort of player that does have a a positive relationship with the fan base of the club he's playing for based on that track record. So I'd imagine over the course of the season, we will have that with him. But maybe potentially on this this one occasion, made the wrong decision. But uh, we'll wait and see what happens at Fratton when we lose our first home game, if it's something that repeats itself. Okay, I think that's probably enough time spent on the Wigan game. What we are going to do now is speak to Max Jones, who is a freelance commentator who has spent quite a lot of time covering Arsenal and the Arsenal youth team and the Arsenal women's team, who is kindly coming on to chat to us about new Pompey signing Miguel Aziz. Okay, so we are now joined by Max Jones. Max is a freelance commentator working in uh, Sports Digital and has done quite a, an extensive amount of work at Arsenal with uh, the youth team as well. And I believe at the moment doing some work covering Arsenal women, Max, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I was I was in Arsenal's media team for uh, seven years. I only recently left, um, but, you know, I'm still doing a few bits and pieces for them, um, mainly commentary at the moment. And yeah, a lot of that has been on the under-23s, the obviously the men's team as well, but the women's team. Um, so yeah, when it comes to Miguel Aziz, I'll, I'll have seen... Quite a few of his games, yeah. Yeah, so there, we we didn't think there was anyone better qualified to offer an opinion, uh, even though Freddie has got all the stats in the world, doesn't compare to actually having their hands on having watched Miguel Aziz play. So basically, the 
the information that Pompey fans have got about him is, you know, Arsenal and England under 20 international. Can you talk us through, I guess, first of all, what strengths is is he likely to bring to the side? What are his key attributes that we should be watching out for on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, this is a this young lad who's been at Arsenal since he was five years old. So, I mean, you're going to get the technical aspects through there. You know, this is this is someone who's learned to you know pass and move ever since he was young in the Hale End Academy, coming through, working with you know various different coaches um, throughout that part of his career. Recently, he's become a lot more, I'd say, well-rounded as a player. But I probably would say his main strengths at the moment is, is his passing. Um, he's got an incredible range of passing. He's also got a great capacity to be able to get up and down the pitch as well. Not only that, he's great in tight spaces and I'm sure Pompey fans would have seen all of his long-range goals that he scored. I saw a few of them doing the rounds. Uh, he even got one in, in pre-season actually for the first team against Watford, I believe it was, in the, in the final uh, behind-closed-doors pre-season friendly. So yeah, this is a, this is a young lad that you know. Not only Pompey fans will be excited about, but Arsenal fans are genuinely they they can't get enough of him at the moment. He made his debut against Dundalk last season in the Europa League, and that twenty-minute cameo or however long it was just left Arsenal fans wanting more because he just he looked so composed, he looked so assured and confident at that level. And um, yeah, let's just let's just hope that he's able to bring that into regular senior football because I mean the early indications are very very good obviously that's that's the big thing isn't it whether he's ready for that step to men's football because you you see youngsters from Premier League and Championship side and it, and it's hit or miss whether they jump in thrive really well all that technical abilities there or they get knocked off the ball too much and don't show as much as they would have liked do you think that Aziz with the right time and, and if he used properly can be a regular fixture for a men in a men's league, or do you think it'll be a supplementary yeah, yeah, abso- player? Absolutely, and I, I think not only that. Looking at Portsmouth's current midfield, you know he he offers something different. He's looking at that midfield. You've you've got Ryan Tunnicliffe, obviously who started the season like a house on fire. He's he's obviously the standout player in the league at the moment. But then if we're looking at players that maybe could be moved in and out of the side to accommodate Aziz. Um, Joe Morrell and, and Sean Williams probably the main competition for that extra or that third spot in central midfield if that's what Danny Cowley chooses to play. And if you've got Aziz in there, he's much more of a shuttler. So you're almost wanting someone with legs next to him. So Ryan Tunnicliffe in that situation, maybe someone to hold and just let Aziz have that free role that he's used to having at Arsenal. And I know Danny Cowley did such a great job uh, with Emil Smith Rowe when he was on loan at, at Huddersfield, in just giving him the freedom and just giving him that creative license and saying, "Go on, I trust you. Go out and deliver a performance. Go win the game." And you know, Emil Smith Rowe has already come back and he's he's told Miguel Aziz, "Look, this is the manager who's going to get the best out of you. So go there, go to Fratton Park. You're going to love the fans. You're going to love the stadium, and most importantly, you're going to love working with Danny Cowley because he trusts the young players." And I think, look, there there are obviously weaknesses to uh, Miguel's game that need to be addressed. I mean, the main one is that he does have a tendency, because he's in that, that weird bottleneck that a lot of youngsters coming through elite academies are in. So you're too good for the under-23s, but you're not yet trusted to play regu- regular first-team football. Because he's so good for the under-23s, he sometimes takes his eye off the ball and he can sometimes get a little bit complacent or he doesn't move it as quickly as he needs to he won't be able to get away with that 
in senior football. And, you know, maybe it will take a mistake at that level at the start of his Portsmouth career to to realise that. But he's certainly got, you know, the attitudes, the desire, the commitment to address those issues and become an even better player. Like, can he play like as a number 10? Because the number 10 also is actually the issue which we've had for years. Like we've been looking for a number 10 for a number of years now. I can't remember like the last time he actually had a, a sort of solidified player in that area. I don't know. Gary Roberts, 2017, probably. Yeah, probably, yeah. Gary Roberts, yeah. It's been like four years since then. I don't know if Aziz can fill that role. I mean, Um, when he he made his first team debut, he came on as a a holding midfielder. He was basically just mm. parked in front of the back four, just said, look, just keep keep it tidy, which he did and he can do. But this is a player who wants to be on the ball at all times. This Mm. is a player who wants to make things tick. He even said in his first Portsmouth interview, look, I want to create, I want to get goals, I want to get assists. That's what he's going to do, or that's what he's going to at least put the pressure on himself to do. He can operate as a number 10. He's certainly been doing that a lot more as he's gained more responsibility within the under-23 side. Um, he got handed the captain's armband actually at the start of this season for Arsenal's um, reserve uh, team. Uh, after Flo Balogun got promoted to the first team. And because of that, he's basically given himself set pieces, he's given himself penalties, he's put himself on all of it. This is a young lad that wants to take responsibility and that wants to be the main driving force. And it's interesting that you mentioned about the number 10s, because yes, Miguel can fill that role, but there were also reports, I think in the ports of news, about um, Danny Cowley perhaps looking at Ben Cottrell as well. And Ben Cottrell, from what I saw of Andy Cannon play, is a very similar player. And we know how the Cannon experiment kind of went with with Portsmouth. You know, it's very, very hit and miss. So I think if we're looking at other players that could have perhaps been loaned out to Portsmouth or to other lower uh, division clubs than Arsenal, I think Portsmouth have done the right thing by getting in Miguel Aziz because not only is he incredibly talented, but he should be able to be moulded to whatever Danny Cowley wants to use him for. That's really interesting, Max. Thank you. I think that your point there about how the, the Cowleys have this reputation for working well with the youth, it's kind of the antithesis of what Pompey have been used to over the last few years. And then, well, it's, been, it's, been a few, it's been a few journeyman signings, hasn't it, in the past? Yeah. Jack, it all went a bit stale under him. So to have a manager come in like Danny Cowley Nicky as well, helping him out. It must be such a huge breath of fresh air. That's, and that's exactly I, the phrase. Yeah, and yeah, I think I mean, what's what's happening around the young players is that they're seeing that. They're seeing young coaches like Danny and Nicky who are dynamic, giving opportunities to the younger players. And when you've got, you know, such... If we look at Emil Smith-Rowe, for example, he's been in the England setup since he was, you know, under 16s or whatever. What happens within those England age groups is all those lads at some point throughout their careers will play alongside each other. Word will start to spread. Oh, where have you been on loan this season? I've been with Danny Cowley. And all of a sudden, if you're a good coach, your name is getting spread around like wildfire around these players in a good way. And this is how you've ended up with someone like Miguel Aziz going, right, Portsmouth's my first pick here. I want to go there because of the manager. Mm. It's so in contrast to, again, we won't, go over old ground too much here for, for Pompey fans but there have been occasions in the last couple of years of young players leaving and I remember one quote that was a 19 year old 20 a push leaving saying that he was hoping to fall back in love with football after six months 
under our previous manager and you should like that's a massive red flag for me if a 19 20 year old is saying they need to fall back in love with football that's a, a real red flag as to what's happening sort of behind closed doors so yeah breath of fresh air i think is is hitting the nail on the head there well, and, the, and the and the other thing is you've got a coach so if it was under the previous guys with jacket aziz probably wouldn't touch the ball for 60 minutes because it would be going over his head and back again exactly yeah so for him it's just like watching a tennis match whereas with cowley you've got different ways of approaching attacks and you know if he's willing to put that much faith in aziz to almost be creator in chief on the on the pitch i guess he can channel those attacks through whichever direction he wants as i mentioned aziz can get around the pitch as well if he's played at number 10 He's not just going to stay central. He will drag players wide. He will create space for others. So if you're a Pompey fan, I'd say be excited about that. One thing I, d- I did want to ask briefly was, I mean, it's it's a player name that I have um, muted on Twitter because I get sick of the, the sound of him. But a couple of seasons ago, obviously, Pompey had Ben Thompson on loan from Millwall, got recalled halfway through the season. Wheels fell off a little bit. And with sort of 2020 hindsight, a lot of people attributed that the loss of form to him leaving. And there was definitely an aspect of truth to it because he performed really, really well at Pompey, but there were other factors that have been kind of forgotten. But he's kind of the, you know, the lost, forgotten one who everyone would welcome back with open arms who left halfway through the season. I don't want to get too much into Arsenal's start of the season. I don't want to cause you a huge amount of pain on this call. But the possibility of, let's say, Arteta hypothetically loses a job, November, December, things aren't good what would you say is the likelihood of Aziz being called back before the end of the season if a new manager comes in and potentially wants to consider his options? I mean, how long is a bit of string, I guess, is the question. I I, I think it's it's a valid question with what happened with Ben Thompson because, you know, he his style of play made him such a such a well-loved figure around Fratton Park, didn't it? And then, like you said, what happened after the loss of form. So, yeah, you understand the fears. I think the only the only reason why a player like Aziz would get recalled um, to Arsenal would be if he was performing especially well and it would be to go right League One you look great let's try you in the Championship but what I'd say there is because that has happened at Arsenal we've had um, the likes of Matt Smith went on loan to I think it was Swindon in League Two and then he was given an opportunity in League One they went okay fine he did well there I think he went to Charlton actually after six months, so first half of the season in League Two, second half in League One, um, I, you know, maybe that could happen with Aziz, but I, I don't think it will because I think Arsenal have such a good relationship with the Cowleys, um, in particular the loan manager Ben Napper, who attributes much of Emil Smith Rowe's success to the work that he put in with Danny Cowley, even though that was only for, you know, five months or so. So. I think what they'll want is they'll want a full season where he's settled, where he's in an environment where there is pressure because uh, Portsmouth are a huge team in League One. The expectations are so high as well, and especially when you're a lad that's coming from Arsenal, the famed Arsenal Academy, fans are going to expect a lot from you. And I think that that pressure will be good for a young player. And if he's in an environment where they can, you know, where they trust the manager, which they do with Danny Cowley, then it's only going to be a good thing. And the other point there is that the academy manager, Per Mertesacker, is really, really big on the idea and the belief that footballers are much more than athletes. They need to be well-rounded people. They need to grow up and have a greater appreciation of what's going on around them and their social responsibilities. 
So hopefully, hopefully Miguel Aziz is able to get heavily involved in the great work that Portsmouth and the community do as well. Because, you know, that, that's what the young lads are, are pushed into doing at Arsenal, just to, you know, as a bit of a, a wake-up call for how lucky they are, how fortunate they are. And if, if Aziz is able to do some of that community work, then I'm sure that he'll grow as a person as well. Yeah, the charity arm of the club are very active. So I'm sure if Miguel wanted to do that, I'm sure if Danny Cowley wanted to bring other players in to do that stuff as well, I'm sure you'll get the opportunity. Obviously, you've watched Miguel in so many different situations, so many different games, and you've mentioned so many moments already. What, what's your big memory of watching Aziz and thinking, wow, he's ready to either go to a men's league and league one or the championship or maybe even push further up for the Arsenal first team. What was that one moment where you saw him saw him play or he did something that made you think, yeah, he's a really good player? Yeah, I mean there are there are there are obviously players that come through where you where you watch them and they are a cut above. So when I first started at Arsenal, um the players that were in the under 18s and the under 21s at the time, we had the likes of Alex Awobi. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, obviously the two of them both played in the Premier League, both internationally capped now. But then you also get ones like Dan Crowley, for example, who went to Birmingham very recently. He always stood out at academy level, but then, you know, it just it's taking him a bit longer to, to find his way. What they all have in common is that when they were on the pitch, they seem to have so much time on the ball. And it's almost like everyone's first thought is, I'm going to give it to that player because he'll get us out of trouble. And I guess no no game did that stand out more than last season's Papa John's Trophy game between Arsenal under-21s and it was actually away at AFC... Well, no, it wasn't AFC Wimbledon. It was Crawley. Arsenal needed a goal. Miguel Aziz picks the ball up, you know, deep inside his own half. Immediately head on a pivot, looking to try and find the right ball. He does, sprays it out to the left doesn't just admire the pass, he bombs forward. He's run forward, he's taken about two or three of their players with him, creates space for his teammates, works the ball to the right-hand side. Then it comes into the middle and you think, right, any player that's in that sort of position against senior players may panic. Not him. Takes a touch, sets it to, I think it was Ben Cottrell, nice bit of interplay, and then he just rifles one across the goalkeeper into the net, Arsenal win 2-1. And you just think, he was able at a really tense moment in the game. Arsenal very close to crashing out of the competition. He's gone, no, we're not not on my watch, not today. I'm going to take matters into my own hands and just smash this one in. And you see stuff like that and you just think, do you know what? This player's the real deal. What are Arsenal's expectations for Aziz at the club? Like, Because obviously I know they've sent him on loan to get some first-team experience, but like, where do they see him like, you know, in five years' time or what's, what is the end goal for him? I'm assuming it's to be first team, but like, do they want him to be a mainstay in the first team or what's, what is their end goal with Aziz? So certainly when Arsene Wenger and um, Ivan Gazidis were at the club, the, the mantra was always, every season we want an academy player to break through into the first team. And we've seen in recent seasons, you know, Bukayo Saka had a, the standout campaign last year, but his breakthrough season was the one just before. There are players who obviously flourish as soon as they're into that environment. Some take a bit longer. I think Arsenal are planning for Aziz to have a great loan spell at Portsmouth, develop, and then be in the first team picture for next season. That doesn't mean he'll be starting, but it means that he'll be 
you know, say Arsenal get in, get back into Europe or they go on an extended cup run. Aziz is in the squad, he's in the rotation and you only need to look at the, the contracts of some of the players within that midfield and it kind of hints towards, do you know what, they are looking at youth, they're looking, right, we've got these players for now but we're still keeping a close eye on the future and Miguel Aziz is, is the one that they have earmarked for that. There is another youngster who's coming through I think he's maybe the age group below Aziz, if we're looking at it um, from like under 18s, under 17s, called Charlie Patino. And the two of them actually have started to, or had started to um, strike up a bit of a partnership in midfield for the under 23s. And it's probably one of those two who are going to make the step up next, I think. So, Freddie, make a note for Lone Watch for uh, next summer. <laughs> yeah, make a note of that name. Well, uh, well, you could imagine if Pompey get promoted and if they want to send Aziz out on loan again, then having him first team football championship experience is probably what Arsenal want, right? And this, this is this is very similar to um, what they had with Dan Ballard. They had Dan Ballard sent out on loan to Blackpool and Blackpool League One. Ballard was probably their best player of the second half of the season there. He was brilliant at centre-back. And Blackpool got promoted. Everyone's thinking, right, go on, let's send him back there, try him out in a different league, but in like the same team. And um, I just think maybe Arsenal looked at it and they went, well, we want to try him a bit higher up. Let's go mid-table rather than a team that's just been promoted. So he's been sent to Millwall and he's doing a great job there. So I think they're always looking to try and raise the level a bit. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a great, loan spell here and then you know he's done his spell in league one he's done his spell out on loan and he goes back and then he's heavily involved with the first team picture max thank you very much for coming on the po forecast where can pompey fans find you on social media for your your football bits um yeah you can find me i mean i don't know don't really know if you want to find me i'm a hailing island boy so um maybe maybe you do want to um just Say hello, but yeah, um, at MXJN5 on Twitter. It's mainly me posting about which commentary shifts I'm working on at the moment. It's all it's all Arsenal. So um, yeah, I'm usually there for Arsenal women's stuff, any Arsenal Academy stuff. So yeah, feel free to find me out over any questions. I'll, I'll happily answer. Everyone go and check out the content that Max posts and no reason not to check out a WSL game with, uh, with Max commentating on Arsenal. Yeah, Max. fingers crossed. We'll make some gunners out of you, uh, out of you yet. <laughs> Let's not get too carried away. <laughs> <laughs> Max, thank you for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Max, for joining us here on the PO Forecast. That is much appreciated. Sounds like we've got something to be excited about there. I'm looking forward to seeing Aziz play for the Blues. On to the next part of the podcast, your views. So we asked you on Twitter... Is the Pompey squad in better shape on paper than it was this time 12 months ago? And I'm going to preface this section by the fact that before we start comparing positions like goalkeepers, we've just sat here and watched Gavin Bazunu save a penalty from Ronaldo in an international game. So any arguments against the goalkeeping situation improving are completely null and void because we're so hyped up on a Republic of Ireland game for possibly the first time ever, probably the first time ever. Um, But yeah, thank you to everyone for getting in touch, replying to this question. Sorry if we don't get to your comments. We'll get through as many as we can. So I thought the best way of doing this, lads, in terms of comparing matchday squads, let me take you back to 
the first league game last season after the transfer window ended, which was a nil-nil home draw against Shrewsbury, which I don't even remember. So it must have been a bit of a classic. The Pompey lineup on that day, we had Mack in goal, Johnson, Watmore, Raggett and Brown across the back four, Naylor and Bryn Morris as defensive midfielders, Harness, Gareth Evans at 10, and then Curtis on the left, and John Marquis playing up top. And if we compare that last game against Shrewsbury to Pompey starting 11 in our most recent league game, which was Bazunu, Brown, Robertson, Raggett and Freeman as the defensive lines, Tunnicliffe, Williams and Morell as our midfield three, and then Curtis, Marquis and Harness playing in our attacking roles. We'll get to your opinions in a moment, lads, as we sort of respond to the tweets that have come in. I guess the, one of the main things to note is there's not too much of a difference in our attacking lines, really. And what this made me think of was in the last week, like a lot of people, I've been watching Shetan Sean Locke tributes and 8 out of 10 cats does countdown best bits, etc. And at one point he gets asked if he could bring something extinct back to life, what would it be? And the first answer he gives, which is the one we're going to focus on, because again, we don't want to have explicit content and all that jazz, is he wants to bring back Jurassic Park, but make it safe. Take all their teeth and nails out. So they're just like a T-Rex with gums. And when I watch our forward line some days where it doesn't fire, I do feel like it is a bit like a T-Rex with just gums and no teeth in that, you know, there's it's still got the potential there to do real damage because you've seen it do real damage before. But at the same time, it just comes across as pretty toothless. And that's something that's come across in some of the tweets that have, have been sent in and some of the messages that have been sent in. So I'll start with Alfredo20. Alfredo, thanks for getting in touch. Up the moose or at up the moose on Twitter. No doubt we've improved. We've replaced average League One players with championship quality. Naylor, Close, Cannon and Morris have been replaced by Williams, Tunnicliffe and Morel and Aziz, for example. We've upgraded everywhere. So, Freddie, what I'll fire at you is the championship experience that Alfredo refers to there. It's something that we see that the Cowleys have really directly targeted in this summer transfer window while they've tried to rebuild the team pretty much from the ground up. Looking at the experience that's in the squad now compared to last year or last season where there was potentially a culture of failure after some failed playoff attempts, would you say that at Fratton Park, it looks like they're now cultivating a more sort of a winning and a more successful culture? They're trying to cultivate a culture where, to a certain extent, it's more professional in terms of in terms of their aspirations, in terms of where where they're always aiming to be. Obviously, last year's team had that as well. Obviously, they're they're, they're professional footballers. They're all competitive. They all want to improve and do the best they can for the squad every week. But it's an entirely different matter when you've brought in a lot of players who have simply been there and done it. Free uh, Freeman's had promotions to the to the Premier League and to the Championship and bringing in Championship pedigree just in general just lifts the standard it, will, it has to lift the standard of training from a mentality perspective and it gives them more resilience due to the fact that they've had lots of probably difficult seasons before and it just makes them more resilient when stuff doesn't go wrong it doesn't go right and if you're trying to build a team with an entirely new shape, which they're doing, with an entirely new philosophy, new manager, new coaches, new everything by the sounds of it. You needed that mindset added to it. And I think they've done really well there. You mentioned the last year's team. As much as I love Gareth Evans, 
one of my favourite Portsmouth pro players in recent memory. But though by that point he was dropping off a bit in his performances because his best season was 18-19 playing as a cam. I would take this new midfield, a new centre of midfield over that centre midfield every day of the week, I think. And Robertson is proving already to be at least a, a more than capable replacement for Watmore or an upgrade, depending on how you look at it. And I prefer what Freeman brings going forward to Johnson, personally. And he's also a reliable defender. So yeah, there are improvements already. But obviously it's not a complete team yet because it's five games into an entirely new squad playing. So there's definitely a lot to change over the next over the next couple of months. So maybe it'll be the case that we'll only really see the the real benefits of those players with a you know the championship experience when the going gets a bit tough further down the line, when Pompey are in a bad run of form or when things get a little bit gritty later in the season, then potentially. Finley has messaged in. Thank you for getting in touch, Finley. It's hard to say. In midfield, I think we're stronger. I don't have expectations for this season. I'm confident the Cowleys will get us out of the league within two years. So we're going to work off the assumption here that Finley is thinks we'll be leaving the league upwards rather than downwards. So proudly, I'm going to throw over to you. Do you agree that the midfield is stronger? And sort of as a second point to that, is this season a bit of a free hit for, for where you're coming from in terms of expectations for the Cowleys? Well, yeah, the, the midfield is, you know, so much stronger. I think, as Freddie touched upon, like, I think, you know, constant failures at the playoff stage, I think, can wear down on players and they just bring this sort of mentality going forwards, like, into a new season. And I think we needed a fresh new midfield and I think we've, you know, brought in some very experienced players and some very good players as well. You know, I mean, one of them went to the Euros, so it's uh, that says a lot. Um, I know it's Wales, but it's, you know, Euros is still the Euros. Um, but um, Watch yourself there. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking down about Wales, but, you know, the fact that we have a player in our squad who has gone to European Championships, which is a major finals, and he is now in our midfield, is, says a lot compared to what we had uh, last season, season before. In terms of the expectations, it's it's kind of a strange one because I think uh, probably in like July, like mid July or early mid to oh, sorry early to mid July, I think a lot of Pompey fans had lowered their expectations anyway because our transfer business was slow. We weren't really bringing in any players. Loads of clubs were bringing in loads of good players, and um, I think a lot of us are pretty much under the assumption that Danny Cowley has pretty much got that sort of free hit season that you mentioned just because, you know, a lot of teams are strengthening and we didn't have the budget. And I think it was mentioned that we didn't have much of a budget to strengthen the side. But for the limited budget we've had, I mean, we've made some very good signings. And considering some of the possibly stronger teams, like such as Ipswich, have had a really bad start to the season, I think expectations are going to change as the season progresses. Um, I've... I think my pre-season prediction is probably ninth. I said we were probably challenged for the playoffs. We probably won't make it this year. I mean, the start of our season has probably skewed that a little bit, but we'll have to see when it gets to November and December uh, to see where we are in the league, to see if my expectations change. But I don't know. It it, it does depend because some fans always go on about how, you know, expectations are fairly low. You know, we'll see if we can challenge the playoffs. But, you know, when the going gets tough, it, it does really get tough down at Fratton Park. So um, we'll have to see uh, later on into the season. I think it's too early to say if expectations are, are lower. But as I said, like some teams are struggling so far this season. Probably there are some surprise teams up there. So we'll have to see like later on into the season. Yeah, on the budget 
perspective, a lot of the other teams who have torn down their squads, Ipswich and Wigan, they took out more players than Pompey have. Pompey mm. have still got a lot of pre-COVID-19 contracts on their books. One of them, Ellis Harrison, which we'll mention later on, but obviously Downing and Marquis. So they haven't had that complete churn of replacing the old contracts with new ones, which might have freed up a, a, a tiny bit of, fi- of finances to a certain extent. But yeah, I, I think consi- considering what uh, what the Cowleys have had to deal with, I think it was a good transfer window, but there are bits missing. Okay, so you mentioned there, Fred, bits missing, and a few messages have come in commenting on the fact that Pompey haven't brought in a new sort of forward position goal scorer. So, uh, Reese Finnegan has messaged in. Thanks for getting in touch, Reese. I'd like to have seen a forward come in, but I think the squad overall looks a lot stronger now on paper, in inverted commas. I can't see a reason why we can't have a real go at top six now. I just hope that Curtis settles in to some proper form now the uncertainty of the transfer window is over. And then Callum Doust, much better squad. You can tell Cowley has good links into the championship and the Prem. Would have liked a new star striker, but Harrison wouldn't leave. We'll touch on that in a second. Have full faith in the Cowleys to get us up. Try to get January top six and then bring in a striker. Sorry for the long answer. Callum, if it fits within a tweet, your, your answer length is all good. But we've there's, there's a lot of talk at the moment about Ellis Harrison. And I'm going to go out there and say I think a lot of it is harsh. I don't know what your opinions are, but I think... He gets a bit of a rough ride of it. The style of player he is, he's had his moments for Pompey in terms of he wins everything in the air. He has his moments in terms of like he scored one absolute banger of a goal. It's just unfortunate for him that it was the consolation towards the end of what I, I want to say was 5-1 against Peterborough playing in a youthful team in a in the cup competition that we didn't really care about too much. But I do think he gets a bit of a, a harsh, harsh go of it on social media because he's got a function and he does that function really well and he's not a 25 goal a season striker he's not but if you're playing a system that suits his strengths he's does the job perfectly well and why should he leave as far as I'm concerned I mean from a human side of things he's got family down here he's fairly settled down here now why would he leave and you'd like to think that at some point he's going to get a fair crack of the whip under the Cowleys. They'll, I mean, I have no idea what he's doing in training at the moment in terms of how he's performing, but you'd imagine at some point he's going to get a look in in the first 11. Freddie, do you agree with me? Are you completely the other side of the fence and think that my angle is stupid and far too sort of feelingy and sympathetic? Or what, what are your thoughts in terms of Harrison potentially coming good and proving a point to what is a fair majority of the Pompey fan base now who would rather have seen him exit and a new name, whoever that name was, coming in. From the human side of things, obviously he has every right to stay and fight for his place. And yeah, he has every right to. It was mentioned in the news by Lewis Mason that Ryan Lowe from Plymouth had high regards for him and wanted him. But in another article by Neil Allen later in the day, it was Harrison who wanted to stay and turn down that opportunity. And that's fair enough if he thinks he's going to get into that side. He does. He does. He does offer that aerial presence, which I do like. Um, he's more. He's more mobile. He's quite a mobile target man, which helps. But I think the problem for me, and the reason why I would have preferred if he moved on from a squad perspective, I think it's quite obvious that Danny Cowley doesn't fancy him. I think, considering that George Hurst, who's a similar player but less experienced, has had the substitute appearances rather than Harrison, says a lot. I think if Harrison was on the bench and he came on. 
a few times near near the end of some games, you'd think, okay, you, you can see that he's he he offers the alternative option if we need uh, need a taller striker who's good in the air, who can maybe bring other players into play a little bit. I think the fact that Hurst is preferred makes me think that Harrison is definitely in the depth option, and even even though it's harsh to bring money into it all the time. He's on a pre-COVID contract, and according to Neil Allen in the news, he's one of the highest-paid players at Portsmouth. And having that high play, high highly paid player who's not playing, it can be a tough one for the fans to swallow at times because because obviously there was gesticulations about the budget and if it's high enough and so on. I think it would be. I think it was quite obvious that if if Harrison left either on loan or on permanent, there might have been some different options coming in. I think Cowley would have lined those up in January because he mentioned about potentially bringing in free players. So that's where the frustration comes uh, It comes from. Obviously, personally, I would support him whenever he plays because I think uh, it's definitely not a mentality issue for me. I just think it's obvious that Danny Cowley doesn't fancy him, so that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, time will tell, I guess. Hey, it's difficult to tell at this point in the season, but time will tell. I'd like to see him get a run of games, at least an opportunity, so... We will see. I, generally, vibes on the on the socials have been pretty positive. So, uh, AMP Andy Mac producer, uh, yes, Naylor was a loss, but I think we have a good squad. Mister L, yes, I think it is short to the point. I like it. Cowley's cows. It's hard to see how it's not better. Our weakness is now arguably our strength. The midfield lack depth and quality. The defense has got better in terms of balance and depth. Even strikers, we have different times. We have different types. It could get better, of course. And then John Lish. I still think we're a top 10 chasing the playoffs team, but I'm happier with where we are compared to last season. There is good work to build on. Proudy, I was about to ask you at this point what your prediction was for the season. I think you said ninth was uh, was ish, was your prediction. Did you say that was your prediction at the start or is that your prediction now? Um, uh, that was my prediction at the start of the season. Okay, where are you at now compared to that? And has uh, has it changed at all after five games? Uh, it hasn't changed yet. No, I, I think I think the depth issue might become a problem later on, I think, uh, in terms of uh, attacking like players. Because um, I think a couple of injuries to either Curtis Harness or Marquis and then we are really struggling. Um Midfielder, you know, I'm not worried about. Uh, I think defensively, we look, you know, a lot better. I think it helps that Braggett is also being played on the right side of centre-backs. I think he looked, he, he took a lot of flack uh, in the past two seasons just because he was playing on the left to accommodate Christian Burgess, even though he looked fairly comfortable. But I think he looks a lot more assured uh, next to Clark Robertson. But yeah, it's just injuries to those two boys. And then it's, you know, I, I, I'm a bit worried about the players coming in um, and whether they can perform because uh, I think if you put our strongest squad out you know I, I, I could back us against anyone in the league but it's just when those injuries start coming in which inevitably they're going to come in because the season's you know uh, there's a lot of games to be played especially if we're going to go far in the cup competitions as well uh, which we normally seem to do quite well in those sort of competitions especially the FA Cup we normally seem to go quite far Um so that's my biggest worry. But I think at the moment, I'm going to stick with ninth. Um, I will revisit it in hopefully two months' time uh, once the um, season's progressed a little bit and uh, we'll see. But, you know, teams teams like Ipswich who are struggling, they might, you know, gel eventually. I mean, they've signed a lot of players. so we'll 19 players. 
19 players and they're 19th. So uh, that's quite apt. But I think once, you know, those players sort of gel together, I think, you know, we, we might be seeing a team that will be up there. Um, I think teams like Wickham as well, who, who obviously came down from the championship last season, I think they've had a fairly solid start to the season. They might improve going forward. Sunderland are going to be up there as well. Um, so th- there is a couple of teams who I think, you know, we have to watch out for first. And I think that will be the reason we will finish as low down as ninth. But you never know. Like, you know, I, I trust Danny Cowley. I think he'll get the best out of the team. And, you know, hopefully we'll have another playoff adventure and hopefully finally win a playoff game because that's 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 the main aim. You're glutton for uh, for punishment, Proudy. Why, why do you wish for things that are only going to hurt us? Actually, look, even if we lose the first leg 5-0, if we win the second leg 1-0, I'll be happy. At least we've got a playoff <laughs> game. We'll, that goes to rest. Like, it's a step in the right direction, hey? Yeah, exactly. We'll just move again next season. But um, but yeah, that's I, I think ninth uh, for me. I, I don't know what your two predictions would be or were. Um, I can I, barely remember. I think I went really optimistic and went fourth and I think Freddie you went sixth or seventh although last time I, I chatted, gave a range it was like six last to time eight. we chatted you gave a range which was <laughs> one of the more pathetic things I heard last week no offence Fred no, Mike Townsend messages in Mike thanks for getting in touch uh, Pompey squad far stronger this season than last keeper no content contest GB short for Gordon Banks has distribution skill far better than League One and anything Craig Mack could offer Jack, obviously a loss, but he's been replaced and the centre-back pair are a good fit. There's no one, sorry, no one would wish to swap Nader and Close for Willow and uh, Ryan Tunnicliffe. I'm assuming he means preferring what we have now. Uh, quality and experience plus international class of Joe Morell puts us up with the best in the league. 14 new signings offering pace, experience, excitement and potential. Of course, everyone's saying we need to replace our strikers, but we've spent big on proven scorers and they are still with us. No guarantee a new pair would be any different. Danny Cowley will find a way of giving our strikers the best chance to score and they will. It's so exciting. I I just can't wait to see Aziz. The only question is, knowing how strikers thrive on confidence, how do you keep three happy and confident strikers around the club? And that's from Mike Townsend and Ferrum. Mike, thank you for getting in touch with that. Freddie, how do you keep three strikers happy and confident in one football club? All at the same time. That's very rough, isn't it? Especially with the 4 3 3, where one of them's the main focal point. You've got to give them all the right opportunities, I would say. It's quite obvious that John Marcus is the main man, the number nine, obviously, with the background and so on. Um, but you do have to give chances to the other strikers as well fair enough chances where they feel like they've got a look in if Marcus is out of form as you've already seen Hurst has, play, Hurst has come on in substitution appearances as the plan has played okay it would be very hard to do that for Harrison as well since Hurst and Harrison are very similar and also they, they might want to play gas on for the forward or, uh, as the striker who latches onto the centre-half rather than in midfield so it's very hard. You've just got to give them the right amount of chances and feel like they've actually got a pathway to the first team and to improve themselves and to be successful. It, it's when you neglect some of the depth players in the squad and you and they, where they don't feel like they have a pathway where things can become a problem. Yeah, fair enough, Fred. I th- one of the perks of hosting this is I get to farm out the difficult questions to you rather than the normal circumstances <laughs> where Hugh gets to hand out the difficult questions to us. So I'm enjoying every second of it before he mm. comes back and I start having to sit here not having a clue what to say. It's dreamy. 
Graham Stovold messages in. Nice triangles so far with uh, this season, but no drums. Hi, chaps. In my opinion, we are in a far better place compared to when we lost to Aki. Would agree with you there. Stronger goalie defence in midfield. Harness, Rico Hackett, Fairchild and Raggett all look better. Nice triangles. Passing triangles, I would agree. But the forward lineup is limp. I'm enjoying our play far more, but ultimately I'm left unsatisfied. I'm hoping something will click between midfield and strikers, but I'm pessimistic. The jury is out on Gassan and George. We know Ellis and John have it in them somewhere. I'd like Gassan and Ellis to have a chance. Proudy, John Marquis is looking a little bit toothless. Do you agree that Gassan had me and Ellis Harrison should be getting some more minutes here? Or five games in, are we sticking with what we believe to be the high percentage play over the season by playing Marquis up top? I mean, Gassan is 20, so should we be reluctant to put too much pressure on him when Marquis doesn't fire? That's quite an interesting question to pose because, you know, I've always been... Like, when it comes to youth players, it's, or, well, younger players, there is a tendency to sort of put too much pressure on them too early. Especially, like, especially at a club like Portsmouth, you know, when you're when you're attracting, like, between 15,000 16,000 fans, like, a home game, most League One clubs won't attract that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on you, especially at a club like Portsmouth. On the other side, because they haven't got that much experience, it was also could be a positive where they don't feel like, you know, there is no pressure to perform at the same time. Like they've, you know, they can go out and just perform without any sort of limitations and knowing like too having like too much experience or professional football, like they can be raw and it, it can be beneficial. But like if I had to talk about a free shot, like I like Gaston as a player. I've I've only seen him a couple of like times. I think he's a hard worker. I think he, he you know, the goals will come for him. Uh, obviously he scored quite a few over preseason, uh, which got him his contracts. But I think, you know, obviously League Football League One football is a completely different kettle of fish. Um so it's you know, the, there is still question marks whether he can perform at this level and whether we're actually playing him in this right position as well, because I think a lot of the time he is playing as that supporting striker rather than the main striker. And uh, with Ellis Harrison, you know, I, obviously you two have said your piece about him. And like, for me, like, I don't mind him as a footballer. Um, I think he does work hard. Obviously, his lack of goals can be a problem. But I think football nowadays, the striker doesn't necessarily have to always get the goals. I think we always talk about a 20, 20 goal, 25 goal season striker. But a lot of the time nowadays... You know, wingers chip in just as many goals, uh, midfielders as well. It's not always down to the number nine. So I think he has a role to play, but it's just whether the players around him can also support him as much as possible. Because I'm not, as a, you know, as you've mentioned as well, I'm not expecting Ellis Harrison to get 15 goals a season, but like he can certainly hit double figures if we support him well enough. But yeah, Marquis, Marquis is the number one striker only purely because the other two just aren't of the level yet. You know, Marquis has done it at League One level, Doncaster, League Two level. So, of course, he's going to be the number one. But it's, you know, it's whether Danny Cowley has the sort of balls to drop him eventually. I don't know. I don't know if we really can because, uh, you know, he's the highest earner. So, of course, we necessarily have to play him because he is the highest earner. You can't leave a player that is on the most money on the bench. Like, we're not a Premier League team. These players uh, paid uh, more money to score goals. So, I don't know if we're not giving him the right service. I, I, I With Marquis, it's, it's a bit difficult to tell. But I would trust Marquis until he hits a dry spell, like a proper dry spell. When I say like ten games, if he hasn't scored in like ten games, then drop. Ten's the limit. That's where we. Yeah, ten's the limit. Yeah. Right. After ten, yeah. then you know, get Ellis Harrison in or Gassan up front or George Hurst up front. We'd give it a different, 
different approach for the next 10 games excellent then we're halfway yeah. through the season we've scored no goals and yep. uh, life is good yeah and it'll be all my fault so. and our PO forecast listening figures have dropped by 85% I'm yeah. looking forward to <laughs> December already it is always good to finish these sections with a bit of positivity so we'll finish with P Jackson thank you for messaging in well even if they are it's not really saying much so I mean that's a positive we'll take that as the win Freddie to be serious based on on that comment is that lineup from Shrewsbury last year really that bad because I mean players like Andy Cannon have now you know playing in the league above was the lineup really that bad or without wanting to open up a can of worms you've got 30 seconds to answer this were they bad, that bad or were they just poorly managed? I think many poorly managed, obviously. So the players who have left, they all had qualities and most of them are doing well for their new sides. And you think under under a Cowley system, they perform better. But hey, I'm not looking back to that squad. I'm looking at this new squad and I'm focusing on that instead. 17 seconds. You had time in the bag there, Fred. Mm. That's impressively concise. Right, finishing things up. We have got, obviously, deadline day has come and gone. The main bits of information to come out of Pompey on deadline day, Hadji Minogar has gone to Bromley on loan for the next uh, few months, but has signed a three-year contract extension at Pompey, which is fantastic to see. Friend of the pod, Hadji, we think has got a big, big future at Fratton Park. And we've seen Malin Romeo come in from Millwall. I've seen information from people who I sit with near at, um, at Fratton Park, who who went to the game we played against Millwall earlier this season. So Ollie West, for example, said he was fantastic against us in that cup game a few weeks ago and is absolutely buzzing that he signed at Fratton Park. Fred, thoughts on the transfer activity on deadline day? Well, focusing on the main signing, Marlon Romeo first, I think that's a great get, even if it's on loan. He offers so much to Danny Cowley. Danny Cowley wanted to change the formation to a free at the back. He, he, he's the right wing back. Immediately, but he could also play as a fullback in the back four where his strengths are going forward, but he's defensively responsible as well. Some of the stats that jumped out at me, his crossing for right backs who have played more than 10 games last season, the championship was excellent. He averaged 41% accuracy from just over three crosses per 90. And considering how Portsmouth might have to play against teams that pack the penalty area, they might have to put those crosses in. So having a fullback that can run up and down and provide those whipped crosses to the strikers. That's definitely necessary. And another strength is dribbling. Last season, averaging 2.78 progressive runs per 90. That's dribbling more than a third of the pitch. And that's up there again with some of the best right-backs in the championship last season who have played more than 10 games. So he's definitely he definitely offers, again, like we said to some of the other players, championship pedigree and strengths to drive the team forward in an attacking manner. And it definitely adds a lot of competition to that right-back's box. So I think Freeman's been good. He's definitely been a good addition. And if you told me before the start of the season, if you have Freeman and Romeo at right-back or right-wing-back, then I would say, yes, that's a massive improvement on what they have. I don't even miss Callum Johnson anymore being loaned out. That, that loan signing is completely forgotten because of this. But yeah, solid signing, even on loan. And it was clear that he wanted first-team football. So that's what I think what Romeo would expect. And... If his contract's up at the end of the summer, I need to double-check that, actually. But if it is, you can imagine if he has a good season here, then he'd want to stay permanently. And that would be a great thing for Portsmouth, I think. Absolutely. Proudy, thoughts on Hadji going out on loan to Bromley and getting some some first-team minutes? Yeah, I think 
I probably would have liked to have seen him join a League Two club, but I'm assuming the plan is because we're giving him a three-year deal. He'll probably play for Bromley for until January. We'll see how he gets on there. And then, you know, the possibility that he'll join a League Two club. Um, it was a bit it was a bit strange to me that we haven't sort of kept him as the backup right back, I'm assuming, because Kieran Freeman, as much as he's good, I think attacking wise, he's not offering a lot for us. I think against Wigan, I was a bit disappointed with his uh, sort of crossing and his sort of wing play really as well. But I'm assuming it's because, you know, Cowley's obviously see Hadji as a long term option, especially given him a three year deal, which is probably unprecedented at our level. Well, I have to see. I, I hope he does well, Bromley. I think Bromley fans are quite excited to see him play. And a few of the Pompey fans who replied to the Bromley post have said, you know, how highly rated he is at the club. And I think Bromley fans are quite excited to see him play. I just hope he kicks on and uh, does well, Bromley, and uh, ends up at a League Two club on loan uh, for the rest of the season. And then hopefully be uh, within the first team realms uh, next season. But um, fingers crossed. Absolutely. Lads, final thing for us to really chat about very, very briefly. Wimbledon preview, Tuesday, Football League trophy group game. There's a couple of unnamed positive COVID tests, according to Andy Moon on Twitter. So we don't know which players they are at the moment. It's pretty fair to assume that it isn't Joe Morell, who was an unused sub for Wales tonight, or Gavin Bazunu, who is currently single-handedly defeating Cristiano Ronaldo on a screen just to my right. Proudy, I guess the question to you first, Fred, I'll come to you on this in a moment. Do we go full strength in the cup, try and get a bit of momentum together and gel the lineup, or do you rest some of the key players, whoever your perception of a key player might be at the moment? Well, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, uh, like considering how well Danny Cowley likes using young players, I'm assuming he's just going to use this competition to give the young players uh, some game time and some of the fringe players. You know, they, they need to be fit for the league games. I'm pretty much on the fence about the EFL trophy. I don't like the way that it's run now, but, you know, if we make a final, we make a final, but I don't really care about it that much. As long as the players are staying fit and, you know, doing well in the competition, then, you know, that's all I can really say. Whether we go through, I mean, we haven't really got that strong of a group anyway, so I, I can see it's going through. I just think past that, you know, doesn't really bother me anyway. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of fringe players will be taking part in uh, quite a few of the youth players. I don't think we'll play many first-teamers. Hopefully not, but because injuries will, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, injuries will cause problems for us in the league. Freddie, are you on board with Proudy on that one? Absolutely, yeah. The EFL trophies are farce. I think I've mentioned that multiple times on this podcast about how much I, I hate opinion, it. Fred, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've mentioned multiple times how much I hate that competition with the B teams in it and so on. Pompey are not going to get this opportunity again. Obviously, with the Plymouth game being arranged due to international break, Pompey are not going to get this opportunity where they have just that time to focus on training and shape and cohesion without a game, without a, a big game being involved. League, League One gets really tight very quickly and it's easy to see Ports are playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday for months on end. So use that Wimbledon game, play some of the players with potential, give them some minutes, play some of the depth players as well to make sure their fitness is up there and then just, fo- and then just focus the rest of it on training because that's more important than this game really. It says a lot about a competition when uh, your perception is that training is more important than a inverted commas competitive fixture. It's not a competitive fixture, Andy. It's, well... I don't, dis- I don't disagree. I love just causing arguments with you for the absolute sake of it on here, but on this one, we're actually on the same page, which is underwhelming for me. 
Okay, that sums things up. It's been a feels like it's been a bloody long podcast. <laughs> we just wanted to say a a big thank you to Nicola Trelise, uh, to Matt Bissett, and to someone anonymous for supporting the podcast this week on buymeacoffee.com forward slash PO forecast. Your support is very, very much appreciated. And we wanted to draw your attention to the Pompey News Now Player of the Month poll that is currently running on Twitter. So I think this has got a couple of days left to run. So when you're listening to this, pop onto Twitter, go to at Pompey News Now if you don't follow Pompey News Now already and vote for your Pompey Player of the Month. Your options at the moment are Gavin Bazunu, Ryan Tunnicliffe, Sean Raggett or other please comment below. So please pop onto Twitter and do that. Hugh, get better soon. I very much doubt Hugh is even listening to these, never mind getting to an hour and a half in, but just on the off chance that you are, Hugh, feel better soon. Frederick Webb, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on the PO Forecast. Honestly, I feel like I live a lot closer to you than I do seeing you every Wednesday night. But yeah, thanks for joining me. It's a pleasure, Andy. And thank you very much to the listeners as well for making the podcast what it is. It's always a pleasure. I was getting emotional. It's 20 past nine. Freddie's talking about feelings. Crowdy, always a pleasure. Always great entertainment chatting to you. Thank you for coming on. Proudy, do you want to give a, a quick plug for your, your socials if you're getting your streaming back up and, and going in the near future? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, ProudyYT. I try not to be too critical about uh, Portsmouth for the moment. Post a lot of memes. Probably see me reply to a lot of the uh, Portsmouth posts with memes. Like I, I've got too many on my phone. You can also find me on Twitch at the same username, ProudyYT. I'll be streaming again soon. And you can also find me on YouTube at just Proudy. Although I'm not uploading until probably the new Football Manager game comes out. So, uh, you know, look out for that. Uh, but thanks you for having me on again. It's it's always a pleasure talking about Portsmouth. I don't normally get to talk to too many people about it because no one in London supports them. So it's really frustrating for me. We've got one Doncaster Rose fan. It's only because her brother plays for them. So uh, yeah, she she just changes team every <laughs> it's a fair time. Reason. She changes team. So I keep trying to get him down to Portsmouth. But he doesn't want to come. So you know, someday. Would he improve the side? Do you think, Bradley? Uh, he, he's. Uh, I think he was Doncaster's best player when we. Uh, when we're playing two and nothing. Oh, I've just remembered. Oh, no, I've given it away now, so I've given it away. So, I just we spoke about this at half time yeah, the other week, didn't we? So, yeah, no, he's, he's a very good player, but I think he's too old for us. Right, Proudy, thank you very much. Yeah, drop Proudy a follow on the socials and check out his his football manager streams. They will make you feel. No offence, Proudy. They'll make you feel quite good about your football manager achievements, whoever you are and whatever year you are playing on FM. That's everything from us. Thank you very much for listening. Keep everything crossed that Hugh is back in good health next week and will rejoin us. But until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle! <laughs>